So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's going on, everybody? Um, it is Wednesday, the 10th of May. The snow has melted in Wyoming, and I have my longtime friend, Kevin Estella, with Fieldcraft Survival on the other end here. Man, what's going on? Dude, I will tell you that the snow has been non-existent here in North Carolina, <laughs> but Utah, that's another story. They got pounded this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you... you uh, well, I guess I can't assume everybody knows who you are. Um, Kevin works with Fieldcraft Survival. I've known Kevin for a long time, but tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you got going on now, um, just for those who haven't tuned in. Yeah, you got it. So I think the last time I was on the Kaparu cast, you know, I was still a high school history teacher, but since then I joined Fieldcraft Survival and, you know, I moved out to Utah in January of 2021. And I taught out there for a couple of years before moving here to North Carolina to work at our training division, which is in Aberdeen. And, you know, really been focused on, you know, podcasting with the company, blogging for the company, producing content for the company, traveling around. I mean, I know we talked yesterday about how busy you're going to be this fall. And I feel like I've had a couple crazy months of back and forth across the nation, teaching in different environments and speaking in different places. So we do a lot over here at the company and our goal is really to make civilians uh, and law enforcement and military, if they come to our classes, way more capable and ready than they were, you know, before they started working with us. So that's what I've been doing, man. Just been, just been jamming over here. And Kevin's also an author. Tell everybody a little bit about that book. Yeah, you got it. So, um, so my book is 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. And that book came out in April of 2019. It's been a bestseller on Amazon since then. So I'm pretty proud of that book. It sold over 20,000 copies and it's available pretty much worldwide. Um, you know, it's the little survival book that could, you know, I got a you know, a lot of people saying like, oh, it's just going to be another book. It's just going to be another book. And there are a lot of naysayers. And you know, my favorite thing is when people tell me that I can't do something, I love proving them wrong. So it was awesome that that book was so well received for the mindset component and also like the no BS approach to the great outdoors. Like it's not like the Obi-Wan Kenobi, like you got to train with me to, to learn these skills. It's really a book that anyone can pick up at any skill level and learn something new or see it from a different perspective. So that book I'm, I'm super proud of. And, you know, that's kind of like the, the feather on my cap to a, a writing career that's, you know, been 175, 180 published magazine articles at this point and probably a couple hundred more digital. So I've just been a, a very busy writer over the past, you know, 15 or 16 years. Yeah, for sure. You've got info all over the place. And it, it seemed like that the, the transition, I guess, maybe, a, I mean, I, to me, that would have been a scary kind of like when I left construction to hopefully make it somehow in the outdoors, you left what you had done your whole life was in teaching to go work for Kevin and kind of run your own uh, thing with him. How daunting was that? Was that like, holy shit, am I making a bad decision? Or? Oh, my. oh, my God. People were calling me crazy. They're like, you're leaving guaranteed work. You're a you're a tenured pro uh, yeah, professor, you're a tenured teacher, um, you're a tenured teacher, you're 
you're guaranteed this job as long as you don't royally screw up and say something anti-woke in the in the classroom. Like you're good to go. Um, and now you're working for a startup where you're working additional hours, you're working year round, you don't have summers off, you don't have all these protections. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? My heart wasn't in teaching at the end of my career because at the end of my career, we were starting to be told by the, the board of ed, like, hey, you've got to teach this and you got to teach that. And it was right in the middle of COVID. And then here's Glover coming by saying, hey, you can work for my company. You don't have to worry about getting vaccinated. You can you can do this. You're pretty much in charge of what you want to do. And I was like, this sounds right. But, you know, harder than leaving teaching was leaving the Northeast because I had to move out to Utah for the first couple of years before I moved out here. And, you know, going from East Coast to West Coast, it's a totally different world, you know, small uh, you know, tight forests versus big open expanses and crazy elevation. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a wild transition, but I'm so glad I made it. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, with what you've got going on, well, I guess before we get too far into this, one of the reasons that we're on the podcast was to announce, uh, something that, that I'm coming down to, to help you out with. And why don't you go into that a little bit? Oh, hell yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, here in North Carolina, we are running the same training that is being done in Utah, but we get to add our own uh, flair to it. And one of the things I wanted to do this year was I wanted to invite good friends of mine that I highly, highly respect uh, to come and do a guest instructor series. So I've got guys like Jason Smith from Hobo Forge. He's a blacksmith. He's a former SF guy, former SEER instructor. He's doing a primitive skills course here. I've got Alan Odinson, who makes some pretty high-performance PVC bows, and he's a crazy barbarian dude. He's coming here in a couple months. And then I started running down the list. I'm like, but who's going to, like, pop it off? Who's going to be the grand finale? And I was like, I wonder if Aaron Snyder would come out to teach. Because, I mean, let's face it. When, whenever I'm, I'm with you, I always pick up something new. Um, you know, your followers, they're legendary, how many you've got, and, and what, you're, what you've done so far. It impresses the hell out of me. And I was like, I'm like, what are the chances I can get Aaron out here? And we've talked about doing this before where I go out to, to you guys and, and I do a little bit of the survival stuff while you teach the archery stuff. And we both kind of tag team the land nav. And, and that's what we said. We're like, let's just finally do it. And you offered, you're like, Hey, I'll come out there and we'll teach and we'll have a great time. So in November on the 9th, the 10th and the 11th, we've got bow hunting with Aaron Snyder from Kabaro international. And you know, I'm just going to be there to, to throw in what I can throw in here and there, but it's really going to be your show and we're going to, we're going to have a damn good time. You know, we're going to eat well, we're going to, you know, probably tell a few lies and, and poke fun at each other. And it's, it's going to be an awesome class and limited to only 12 slots. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. And I, you know, the, the good thing about this, um, you know, uh, course, or when I say good thing, like, I'm. I'm, I'm in an area that is not, I'm not in the, the thick of the things in the West, right? So a lot of people in that North Carolina, South Carolina, that region are looking at heading out West to go on a backpack, backcountry or any type of Western hunt. So it's, I feel it's probably more important to start for, for me to start heading that direction and, and helping people like yourself teach these courses to get people ready to come out West. So that was kind of a cool thing. And then obviously you and I doing the land nav, we get um, both you and I, uh, we both get a lot of requests for teaching land navigation and 
One thing with land nav that we will be going over in the course that I don't think people probably realize is that is not like tying your shoes because um, people are like, hey, are you going to, you know, do a, a land nav course for a day? And I'm like, yeah, about 5% of it I can cover in a day. And that's an exaggeration. <laughs> I can get you, get you walking, you know, we're going to crawl in five, in, in one day, right? And and it's going to take a long time before we run, but at least you'll get some decent basic knowledge from this course on the land nav side too. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Land nav is one of those uh, perishable skill sets. And I'm pretty fortunate. Like, I love my job because I get to teach it, you know, at least once a month. And people will say, like, okay, what's the next step? I'm like, more of the same, right? More of the of the foundational skills. Like Michael Jordan, at the height of his career, never stopped practicing free throws or how to do layups. And when people were like, damn, how did you do that calculation so quickly? I'm like, I train this all the time. Like you just broke this out at the beginning of hunting season. You learned it for the first time last year and you're rusty. So, you know, I always pride myself and I tell the students, I'm like, I will never run out of material. I can find an interesting exercise for you guys to do. And there's so many different ways that you can approach land nav from the hunting perspective, from search and rescue perspective, from, you know, backpacking perspective. I mean, there's so many different ways. Um, you know, I think people are going to be blown away when they take this class and they see the way that you teach it. Cause you've shown a couple things in some of your videos where I don't think people understand how awesome the way that you're applying using that back azimuth shooting a range and, and, you know, following the, the VZ 17 panel on your pack, um, like simple tricks like that until people take a foundation class, they don't realize like, damn, that is a perfect application of, of land nav that makes you so freaking lethal with a bow. Um, you know, and you're spot on when you're saying like folks from North Carolina, South Carolina, the goal is to get out West, right? They want to go out West. They want to do the big mountains. And they're used to these draw monsters that we have out here um, on the East coast and super thick woods. And they don't realize just how big the terrain is out there and how even like your depth perception, right? Like in the North, in the, in the North woods and you're in the East coast, a long shot is like 150 yards, right? Maybe a hundred uh, on an average, but uh, out west, like you're seeing guys with rifles taking 600, 700 yard shots and you can get line of sight, you know, from mountaintop to mountaintop miles, you know. So I don't think they understand the expansiveness of, of the west. And that's going to be really awesome to have you give that perspective of like, look, I've been hunting out here for a long time. You guys better be prepared to shelter up in the mountains where there is no way of building a, a primitive shelter. Like there's no way of, of escaping like what, what they would encounter here. So it's going to be really, really cool to, to offer this class because there isn't something like this as far as I'm concerned to introduce people from one coast to the next, uh, the differences of, of hunting, you know, across this nation. Yeah, and I, I, there's different ways, like you have um, survivalists and preppers and, uh, and, and then, you know, you have like ultralight backpackers, backpackers, backpack hunters, and they all have a, a unique um, application to survival, I guess you could say. Like for me, I don't get in, I mean, I used to, but I don't really get into the, uh, you know, I don't make shelters. I, I'm not, um, you know, doing any kind of wicker baskets or the, uh, whatever those are called, the fish uh, catchers, the cones. Um, yeah, I know kind of how to make most of that stuff. I'm a little rusty, but like for me, it's more, okay, I need to get from point A to point B with relative lightweight pack, right? Because I got to stay back there for eight, 10, 12 days. 
And then I need to have the least amount I can in that pack. And I need that will happen because of my skill set or yours, meaning the higher my skill set, the less shit I generally have to bring for what ifs. So and and you get more comfortable the more you do it. And so my thing is, is um, having a higher skill set, teaching that skill set so people will have potentially less weight in their pack, but also know what to do adverse weather comes in, there's some kind of a medical situation. And then knowing all that, then transitioning to, okay, now that I'm back here, I have that skill set, the fitness portion, all that. Now I need to put an animal on the ground, be able to break that animal down, take care of the meat, which is a total another portion of this, meaning I need to Mm -hmm. keep that meat cool, um, you know, for one, two, three, four, five days, however long, keep it cool, taken care of, not let marmots, black bears, things like that get to it. And then have the ability to load the most comfortable, uh, the pack the most comfortable way I can to get off the mountain and then assess how far can I make it? Where's my level at? Can I make it four miles today? Can I make it eight? Do I need to bivy up halfway out? Um, And there's a lot more to it than that. But it's not just that one thing, right? You need to know how to build a fire with help and without help. And when I say with help, a trioxane tab. But when you don't have that, you need to you need to be able to do it without it, right? And then, uh, you know, I need to know how to set a shelter up correctly, knowing wind direction, placement. Uh, but I also need to know if my shelter goes down, how to build a shelter myself, a field expedient shelter, things like that, and knots. Like that's a thing. Like knot tying is a lost art, and I know five knots really well. And those, it's amazing what five knots will get you, right? There's got, you probably know 500, but I have five that carry me. Most people like, you know, tie knots, tie lots, right? If you don't know how to tie knots, tie lots of knots or whatever, that's not a good way to look at it. So we can, we're going to go into some of that. What I feel my, my four to five primaries are that, that get me through what I do. And all of that allows you to carry less shit in your pack and also still have a high level of certainty you can make it out of anything. And we're going to teach all that. Yeah. You remember, you remember like the magazines, like outdoor life and sports afield. Remember they used to always give that advice. Like uh, if you're going camping, you, you have two boxes when you get home and it's like a box of shit that you use and a box of shit that you didn't use. And they're like, just take out of your pack and put them into the appropriate box. Remember that? Like, Mm -hmm. remember remember those, those articles that would say stuff like that? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what this course is. Like it's a it's a course where you show up and you've got two boxes at home and you probably have everything in your pack, right? Like you got the gypsy camp hanging from your pack with, with stuff that you don't need. But then as you learn these different skill sets, you're like, all right, I don't need this. I don't need that. You know, it might be nice to have, but do I really need it? Well, not really if you've got a certain set of skills. So like I think the goal is to to get people to carry less right on their backs, but to give them more in their heads where they're like, all right, I can do everything I need with, with just that. And with just this, like, that's the the most rewarding thing for me as an instructor, right? Like when people don't have to carry a lot of cordage, when they can use certain knots and learn how to make them quick release and they can save resources, like, like that to me is the most exciting thing. I think that's what, what people are going to get out of this class is, you know, they, they're going to realize, man, I've been carrying way too much and man, I can go further because I'm not weighed down. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. You know, and I think you're going to, you're going to bring it. It's almost anticlimactic for some when people ask me my gear list. Cause 
while it is very high tech and very cool, it is very Spartan. And when I say that, meaning I just, I have to carry it in. Right. And so I, you know, clothing, like, okay, what do you bring for clothing? And it's like, you know, I got underwear and I might have an extra set and maybe not. I have one pair of socks that I wear in and maybe an extra. And then I have one pair of pants, one fleece, uh, you know, one Merino base, one puffy and some rain gear. That's, there's my list, right? I, I mean, more or less. Right. And so when you, when you, when it, when you get to, let's say guy outlines, you know, when you are, have a tent guy outlines come with tensioners, right? Whether, whether or not those tensioners work very well or they're worthwhile or whatever. But when you learn to tie like a Prusik or Prusik or whatever, however you pronounce that, um, you can get rid of, or if one goes down a tensioner, or if you're putting up a tarp, learning how to use those tensioners and tying those knots, hanging up meat, like, right. Like having, um, like a Jumar type system, um, all of those things come into play in multiple, you know, whether that be hanging up your meat, survival, keeping your shelter up and again, less weight and a higher degree of mm, confidence with everything that you do. The land nav portion is a whole separate one, right? Like it's, it's not just like, again, I use land manual land navigation for, my stocks, but also route planning, you know, and that handrails and catching features, things like that, backstops, like learning how to nav fast where you're not, I mean, there's nothing worse for me than a dude looking at his fucking phone walking all day to get to where he's going. It's like, dude, your situational awareness is fucked. Like put the phone down because they're using, you know, whatever, a Spartan Fordronics or something. So with that, right, yes, those apps are good. But you want to be able to, for me, I have an M Sunto M9 wristwatch compass and I generally wear like a Garmin 601 or whatever um, that I can, I, I have in my brain from my route planning, the more or less, I know my pace counter roughly, right? I have some catching features and backstops or handrails to get to where I'm going. And then I have the ability to read an eight or 10 digit grid coordinate to where I'm close to where I want to go. I'm not exactly sure where I'm at, that I have that confidence that, oh, I'm going to turn on my GPS real quick. I'm going to get my grid coordinate and plot out on my map where I am, not relying on a software the entire time to know where you are. And you're really good at teaching that as well. And, and you know something, you hit the nail right on the head. And I think that's one of the reasons why we, you know, we kind of clicked when we first started talking, you know, years ago, uh, we were just talking about like just the philosophy of land nav. And we both talked and, and said how we can't stand it when people will use a GPS and, and just stare just at that GPS, as opposed to just turning it on to figure out, hey, here's my location, right? And then they can verify on the map and be like, okay, moving on, right? And save your batteries versus the person that, you're going to keep that thing on and, and rely on that, that weak point. Um, and yet, like people don't realize like an eight digit grid, which is what most people are capable of doing with a, uh, with a compass protractor that gets you to like 10 meter of accuracy, which is probably larger, slightly larger than the room that most people are, are sitting in, you know, when they work. So if you can't find something within 10 meters of accuracy, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, you're going to, uh, I don't know what you're looking for, but uh, yeah. like to me, I think that's why, you know, we, you know, we hit it off years ago and we're like, we think alike, you know, and, and uh, you know, that, that same loadout of equipment, whether it's that wristwatch, 
and the, the you know, I use a Sunto MC2D, um, and then that Garmin 601, I mean, you can do a lot of good work with those two tools. Yeah, and, and again, it's all about confidence um, of your your own skill set or ability, and uh, when the more eventually over time, no mountain will be too high and no distance will be too far, meaning... A lot of times people hike in on a trail and they're relatively afraid to get too far off the trail. Now, that may be fitness. That may just be fear, right? Or that may be lack of knowledge or it may be all three. But the idea is as you pick these things up, filling your little, you know, filling your whatever little bag up of, of skill sets, eventually nothing, you have no fear of anything. And when I don't mean that in a manly way, but I mean like you're like, ah, fuck it. We got stuck overnight. Man, it was cool. Yeah, we made a bed out of some pine boughs and moss and we built it where it's not like, oh, fuck, we almost died. It was more like, well, that's cool. We can tell our kids about, you know, when you have a higher skill set, crises to some people are not like if you and I got stuck overnight, it'd probably be more of a comical thing. And I just wish that we'd brought whiskey, right? It's not a bigger deal when you have that skill set. Um, and, and again, you and I, we paralleled a lot on those conversations of what we, you know, what we bring. I don't, there's a few things that are different. I don't get into the, uh, uh, and I wouldn't say different, but I don't mess around with like, um, the little wood burning stoves for boiling water. You screw around with those. Some, I can't remember the name (laughs) of them. Um, and again, that's technology, yeah, bush, buddy. bush buddies. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know that you'd actually use the alcohol stoves or the esbits. I don't, I don't really ever use those. And when I say that it's about efficiency, right? Like for me, if, if I self-reliance, yes, a bush buddy, you are more self-reliant because once my isobutane canister runs out, I'm kind of screwed. But for me, it's efficiency well, and weight. Go ahead. Well, brother, I'll tell you this, man. When we when we were on that trip a couple of years back, and the one with the the fishing trip that never happened, you know, yeah, the fishing trip uh, with no fish. <laughs> yeah, the fishing trip with no fish. So when we were on that trip, like I brought that bush buddy because I was like, oh yeah, I've been using this thing on the East Coast for a couple of years, and we were up at what, like nine k or ten k or something nah, like that. Oh man, a, almost and eleven. A wood, yeah, a wood burning stove is not going to work that great up there. And I, I dicked around with that thing for I don't know how long. And then you had, I think, a jet boil or, or an MSR reactor. reactor. Yep. And you had water boiling in like 90 seconds. I'm like, son of a bitch. Right? Like, <laughs> like that was just one of those those ignorant moments where I was like, well, this thing's been working me for me you know, for years, but it wasn't, I wasn't hitting 11,000 feet on the East coast. So, you know, I've since changed that, you know, just know that I've changed my ways after, after that trip. <laughs> well, and I, I, like people ask these questions to me all the time of what, what changes when, meaning when do I change clothing? When do I change stoves? And I don't mean change clothing. Like when do I get dirty? Do I change clothes? When does my system change? And it all really boils down or, or breaks down to me to a very few things. One is the distance I'm going in, the location I'm at, right? The potential weather, um, and, you know, and terrain, meaning if I'm going overnight, I carry pretty much anything or not carry anything at all. It's an easy trip. Um, if I'm going for multiple days uh, and I'm going two miles in or four, that's a completely different packing list to where let's say I'm like, man, we're going in 11 miles. And if I'm going in 11 miles, believe me, my packing list looks much different than if I'm going in two, like I'll pack in brats and shit. Like I don't at two miles, I'll carry Kevin in like, but 11, 
<laughs> with rough terrain. Like I have went to the lightest system known to man. And and when I say that, I'll drop my bat, like I'll go, I'll carry a 30 degree sleeping bag or, or higher or, or meaning lighter weight. And I will wrap my puffy jacket around my feet. I will, I, you know what I mean? I'm going to do things to stay lightweight, but if it's a hunting trip and I could potentially get pushed off the mountain, it's not just like an overnighter, let's say, then I'm like, well, I got to, I got to pony up on some weight here because you can be so cold that you're pushed off the mountain. So there's like that assessment that I have and everything I do, but I also have been out there enough to know kind of where my, what's more important to me. I like to eat. I bring a lot of food. I like to sleep, so I, ca I carry a little extra, like my, my air pad is going to be maybe a little heavier than some might work with. My shelter, though, I can get away with quite, a, you know, almost anything, and I build a lot of fires, right? Like some people, when they're hunting, don't build mm -hmm. fires. I am a fire-building fool. Like I, the smoke does not bother the animals, and if it's cold, it, it's like literally – motivational, like that fire can make or break a day sometimes. And so all of those things, again, is just a skill set that, that people can pick up and, and it helps them when they're out there. Yeah. And if we stick with that idea of fire, like we, we put a lot of emphasis on fire when we teach survival classes out here and we tell people how many different uses it you, you can have, you know, for a fire, like you can treat water, you can warm yourself, you can, you know, signal for help. You can light your way like like fire is life, right? Not to be cliche with survivor, but, uh, but it is really life. And, you know, getting back to that whole idea of packing the right gear, you know, there are a lot of people out there when they first get into the, the studying the great outdoors and, and whatnot, they want to pack like the biggest, you know, hand and a half ax. And it's like, yeah, maybe that's the right tool if we're going out in the middle of winter and we're cutting a lot of fuel, but up in the mountains, you know, you're not going to find tools that, or I'm sorry, you're not going to find resources that need a giant ax. Like many times you can pick it up off the ground. You can break off the squaw wood on the lower part of the tree. Like there's no doubt that, you know, it's nice to have, but you're going to be kicking yourself in the ass if you're carrying something that doesn't get a lot of use. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. Like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've just taken my woody out of my bag and I put that over my shoulders as my, my, uh, my warm layer around camp, you know, and then it doubles as my, my summer weight bag, you know, or summer weight quilt and when I'm hammock camping. So, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think that's another skill set that people are afraid to explore is like, okay, let's test our limits. Let's see what, what our threshold is for cold. Let's see what our threshold is for hunger. You know, we, we tend to just eat with our eyes and we don't, you know, calculate calories and, you know, how many calories do we actually freaking need to, to not lose weight? You know, I think that's something that, that that's a whole other discussion. Um, and what, and what calories, right? Like, yeah, you can pack a lot of really, you know, fast burn, you know, fuel out there, but you know, I'm, I'm with these guys that are, are, you know, powered by fat. You know, I want as much fat as possible. Give me tuna and olive oil, right? Olive oil packets with tuna. Like my God, that's, that'll keep me going, you know, mix that with some ramen noodles and I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. That, the same. And when, when, well, like that trip that, that we went on, this is a prime example of shit going, not quite the way you had hoped. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously there was no fish, but thank goodness we did bring food, but that hike in sucked. Like that is normally a fairly easy hike in. And when I say fairly easy, it's Colorado, it's high altitude. There's a climb, there's a drop, there's another climb. Um, we hit 
balls deep snow through deadfall. I didn't know where exactly where the trail was. Not that it would have mattered. There was probably four foot. I don't. What was the deepest snow we hit? Probably four feet. I would think. Oh man, I'm I'm six feet tall, and and it was literally balls deep. Like I fence post all the way to my balls. Yeah. Um, so that's at least two and a half feet. Last time I measured my balls to the floor. Um, but yeah, that, and I remember you were like, oh, you, you won't, maybe you need snowshoes, pack them in. And then we didn't have comps between yeah. you guys and where we were on the trailheads. So we're like, oh, I'll just leave this, I'll leave the snowshoes in the vehicle. And man, I wish I brought them because holy crap, that was, that was interesting. Yeah. Cause when we, and when we left the trailhead, it wasn't much snow. I'm like, ah, I'm not packing those things in. And then right, we right. got to that Creek and I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of snow there. Well, Amy, my my wife, Amy, was with me, and she has a 30-pound pack. And me, like we just talked, not a fairly easy hike for, for me and, and living out there. So I had a lot of stuff in my pack, like way more shit than I needed. Well, me at two at that time, probably 210 and a 60-pound pack, you know, I'm pushing 270 in late spring, in well it was like a post hole a recipe for post holing so yeah amy was laughing because she was staying on top she's like oh this isn't that bad and i'm like <laughs> i'm like low crawling to displace my weight over some spots because i'm just like okay <laughs> my quads hurt this blows like but yeah and once we got there even though they had killed all the fish the fall before from whirling disease we didn't know that and so when we got in there we had fished that the year prior and it was unbelievable. And then we get in there and, and it's frozen, but not the whole, I mean, there, there's enough, there was enough open to catch fish. Uh, yeah, we didn't catch shit. So we spent the day shooting wrist rockets and slingshots and talking shit, basically. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually tempting fate again. I'm going back to Colorado with a couple buddies. Um, this, what is it going to be? Probably August. And we're going to do the same type of thing where we're going up there and we're going for fish and, you know, we're bringing 22 pistols. And one of the guys that we're going with swears that he's going to put us on all sorts of mushrooms, not like the psychedelic kind, but the kind that you actually forage for. And, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to tempt fate. And I swear to God, if, if there's another pond that we go to that doesn't have fish, I am, I, I will forever <laughs> damn Colorado fishing. Like, like I, I've caught fish in Colorado before, but you know, the last time I tried fishing in Colorado, didn't get anything. And, uh, you know, if we go back and they, we get the notice that they killed the fish, I, I, I'll, I'm done with Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> we just, um, uh, we just got back. We hiked in, uh, last weekend and, uh, we knew the lake was, had been what well, two weeks ago we hiked into this lake and it had started to thaw. So last week and we went back in knowing it had been, it had, had thawed more and, uh, yeah, we caught zero fish. It was still fairly fairly frozen we have high hopes for this lake later on but you know in that you can get yourself maybe not into big trouble but definitely you know you've been sitting around through the winter you haven't probably done a lot of cardio or not as much as normal especially this winter out here um so then you you know you hit it you got you you, you whatever what do they call that um uh whatever fever um spring um you, you you're cooped up and you're ready to get out the door. Right. And so cabin, cabin fever. Yeah. We got cabin fever. So you head out and then your fitness is a little lower than, and you probably pack too much stuff because you may have bought some gear you want to test. And the next thing you know, 
you're in a four foot snow drift for four miles trying to get to where you want to go. It's a pretty big eye opener and kind of not to confuse people. What I'm when I, when I've talked about gear in some of the more survival woodsmanship stuff, usually like there's a, there's a path almost everyone takes and, and there's like different stages and those can be yearly too, but generally you have like a poverty phase. Um, cause you just can't afford uh-huh. shit and you use whatever you have. And if you're going to be poor, you got to be tough type of a thing. Um, you know, you got to carry extra weight when you're poor. There's going to be kind of a gadget phase where you've tested way too much shit. You've got way too much stuff in your pack, kind of a novice thing as well, or, um, you're a novice and learning backpack hunting, but like you're carrying things like, for example, soap, uh, or certain items that just aren't that important. When I say that, meaning I don't shower or clean myself off other than rinse myself in a creek for 10 days. So I'm not going to bring even dehydrated soap. There's certain other items I'll go into in a class. You get through all that and then you go into the ultra lightweight phase. And kind of like the military, you're basing your next war off of your previous war. Your previous war Uh could have been you carried way too much shit and just got physically beat down getting in there. So your next war is going to be going, you're going to be going in extremely lightweight because of that last issue you had of almost dying from, you know, physically beat down, carrying too much stuff. So then the next one, you're going to go like super Spartan. But then you may have adverse weather conditions or you may have something happen or you may have been missing something. So then after all of this shakes out at a certain point after years, you've got what you got and you don't need a spreadsheet or a gear list or anything. It is what it is and you have what you need for the most part, a few twists and turns aside of testing things out. Now, that is that is very much where you live, meaning for me, Western hunting, I'm good to go. Canada, Alaska, down here in the lower 48 west side. But my gear may change greatly if I head out there where you're from. And and without that experience and screwing around with it, I mean, most of the time people pack way too much crap on the way in from my, from my experience. You, you learn that as time goes on. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, Rogers Rangers, they have that expression, uh, travel light, freeze at night. And there are folks out there who have experience with, with the ultralight game, right? And they, they love the ultralight game, say, three seasons out of the year. But then it comes to winter camping, and they freeze their balls off. Um, you know, I think there's another phase, too, where at the very end, or not end, but like towards the, like the most mature phase of, of the gear game, you know, you say, you know what, I don't care if I have to spend a little bit more or if I have to pack a little bit more. I want to be comfortable. You know, like I've gone through the tough phase, I've gone through the poor phase, I've gone through the ultralight phase. Now I want to go through the phase where I get like a 90% solution 90% of the time. Um, And I know that that's where I am right now. Like I feel good with like my everyday carry pack. We just posted a video on our our YouTube page and I mean, it blew up and people are like, damn, the guy's scored away. He, He has things for for travel, right? Like he's got solutions for, for staying warm. He's got solutions for, you know, charging his, his equipment and, you know, for, for treating water and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I run my, my backpacks where I have, I have gear that I can use pretty much anywhere in the country. But then if I travel to like a, 
like high altitude, I'll carry certain things. If I travel to, you know, the desert, I'll swap out certain things for others. You know, like I go back and forth with the floor of the shelter, right? Like I, I love my, my sawtooth, but I also like my one person tent. I also like my hammock, you know, and every one of them, it, like I'm going to have a different solution, but inside my pack, I've got my headlamp. I've got, you know, a backup water treatment and I've got that 90% solution ready to go. I just need to modify it with a couple last minute additions. And, and I'll tell you, I'm at that point now where maybe I'm, it's boredom. Maybe it's me being a type A weirdo, but I've actually created like a Google uh, sheet, like for, for like the items that I have in my travel bag, the items that I have here where it's like, if I need to know like, all right, where do I put that, that wrist rocket? I go in there, I type in wrist rocket and it, and it tells me exactly which bag it's in. Like maybe I'm just a weirdo. I don't know. But, uh, I, I think that's the way forward. It's like have gear that you're going to use most of the time. And before you go out on a very specific trip, modify it with what you need that is going to meet certain demands, right? Like come up with the problem, come up with a solution and add it to your pack. No, I agree a hundred percent. Cause I, um, I always talk about my primaries. Like I did, uh, like a, a video, of my bino harness and it was like, Hey, here's my primaries. And then behind it are alternates of what may or may not go in at different trips. And like, I have a possibles pouch that has the same thing in it all the time. Now, I may add stuff mm-hmm. to it, but there's a core group of things or items that are in there, and my med kit's the same way. And people are like, well, why would your med kit change? And I'm like, well, easy. That is my backpacking med kit. That is the least I can get by with, which I'm not great with the med kit stuff, but I go to a hunting camp. I go to over, like, let's say I go to Canada, whatever. There's going to be, like, quick clot added to that. There's going to There's going to be other items I may add to that. Uh, antibiotics, if I'm going to Canada specifically or Mexico, I'm definitely throwing in some different types of antibiotics in there. The same thing goes with stoves or clothing or like you talked about. There is no one do-all shelter. Now, it may cover something, 70% or whatever, but you can't have an ultra lightweight shelter that works well in winter. It just doesn't happen. And you can't have a four-season winter shelter that's lightweight. Um, technology hasn't got there and I don't know that it ever will. And then you can go to something like Cuban fiber that will go lightweight, but then you're going to be in poverty from buying that shelter. And you're probably not going to have dual walls. So you're going to have condensation. All of those things are an assessment of, again, where you're going, how far it is, how long you're staying, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think what people need to do is they need to do like a realistic like mental walk of where they're going, what they're going to encounter, right? It's easy to say, Hey, we're going to that destination, right? Like we're going to, to that draw, we're going to that ravine, we're fishing that Creek or whatever, but it's like tie in all the skill sets that you have, take a look at the map and actually say to yourself like, okay, where's the nearest water source, right? You'll get that from learning how to read a map. And then maybe that helps you decide, are you carrying, one metal canteen and a bunch of collapsible bladders are you carrying you know one metal canteen a collapsible bladder and you know say like a grail bottle you know like what what exactly are you going are you going to need to to suit your your requirements of the trip but then also take a look at like all right let's go online and just look up average weather right and figure out okay 
it's going to be 30 degrees at night, but there's going to be a 40 degree temperature swing. So I could probably get away with shorts and a pair of, you know, uh, you know, insulated underwear for most of the time. But at night, I definitely want to have a set of, of thermals, you know, like I don't think people utilize the resources we have. Like we live in a great time right now where, I mean, when I was a kid, <laughs> you kind of rolled the dice with like, okay, what am I going to experience? What's it like there? You know, you packed everything. You know, if I was going on a fishing trip with my, my friends, I was like, where do you find out other than just trusting your friend's dad, like what you're going to encounter, like utilize the internet, you know, there's no shame in, in putting a question out there to the, to the internet and getting responses and trying to, trying to verify what you hear um, rather than just packing everything or not packing what you need and regretting it later. Yeah. And, and water and food both, right. You can go a couple weeks without eating before you die, but you're not gonna be real happy water. You got like two days and you're really losing cognitive skills after 24 hours. Um, you're not thinking correctly. So water is a big one, but like I, you know, and if you look over the last 15 years, my water filtration or purification system has changed. Like I used to carry a Katadin hiker pro everywhere. Then I, I've used some gravity filters, things like that. The SteriPen, I like that. Now, 90% of the time, I carry, MS, I carry MSR Aquatabs, and that is all I bring. Mm. And that can be really good for lightweight. That can also be a bit of a clusterfuck getting debris out of there. Like debris can be a problem, right? So people are like, you know, hey, what kind of pump do you bring? Hey, this is a good pump. Uh, MSR has got a new one called the... I can't remember, but it's called really expensive because I think it's three or 400 bucks, which I've heard is really good. I haven't, okay. I haven't used it. Um, but for me, it's like, okay, I have been through so many different situations. These aqua tabs work well. Now they're not quick, meaning I got the 20, 30 minutes purification time for them to dis dissolve. The SteriPen is awesome because it's quick. The Grail water filter, super fast. So it's a matter of at that point, paying the Piper or the Tolman, what are you willing to sacrifice potentially speed, potentially having debris, squidwards in your water to lo to lose weight and space, going lighter weight and less space in your pack. There is a degree of skill set you need to 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 use MSR Aqua tabs for everything. Meaning you better be real good at I will take trash from my I'll I'll take a, a wrapper and I'll make a funnel or a faucet, a leaf, whatever. I will reinvent the uh, flow of the stream a little bit, especially if it's like a seep where I can get a little bit of a drop or a waterfall. I'll take a garbage bag or a dry sack and just leave it there. So for 24 hours, and if I leave it there for 24 hours, then I'm going to have a large amount of water over the seep. I mean, you get the idea, but there is, you know, you are robbing Peter to pay Paul with some of this to where, you, let's say it rains and there's all kinds of pockets and rocks and you have a, a, a pump, you can go to each one of those pockets and pump water. I'm going to need a thimble to put it in something, right? Like if I don't have some type of container to put it into another container, you know what I mean? A small container to start, you know, uh, you know, transferring it into an algae, I'm kind of screwed, right? That water, I'm going to, what am I going to do? Drop an aqua tab in there, wait 30 minutes and suck it out. Right. So you can, there's a lot of different things that you have to assess before making these decisions. The safest bet is always going to be some type of a pump. I got tired of carrying the fucking thing. So I just don't bring one. So feedback on that. Like, what are your thoughts on some of that stuff? Cause that is bad advice for a newcomer. Don't just bring aqua tabs. Go ahead. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I, I like Aquatabs. Um, I've used Aquatabs a whole bunch and, you know, I prefer Aquatabs over, over iodine tablets all day. And, you know, from the survival perspective, right. Iodine tablets are, are bread and butter, you know, old school survival skills. Like they've been around, you know, people have been using them in Vietnam and now they've come out with like the, the additive that's supposed to, re- you know, remove the iodine flavor, but it doesn't remove the iodine, which is still bad for you if you have like shellfish allergies. But, uh, you know, the thing that drives me crazy is when I see people carrying something and they carry the what, but they don't know the why. And, you know, I'll see people come to the, these survival classes and we do a kit layout and it's like, all right, take out your stuff. Let's do a walk around. Let's see what people are carrying and take a notepad and, and keep track of what you see. And you, you were like, and ask questions of people, you know, student to student. So I've had people in classes with unlubricated condoms. And the old school knowledge was, hey, unlubricated condom makes a great water container. You can carry like a gallon, just like you learned about in health class. But people are expecting that that gallon of water is just going to magically fill up that condom. But if it is a drip, if it's a seep where, you know, you're getting one drop at a time versus like a deluge of water or a big body of water where you can kind of hold the condom from the opening and kind of force all the water in there, you're not filling that thing up beyond the, the tube that it's the size That's of your wiener, for, right? Like it's yeah. extreme. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, uh, you know, you gotta be like John Holmes to fill that thing up, you know, to the volume that, uh, <laughs> you that need that thing to is survive to carry. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, uh, I tell people like carry Reynolds oven bags, you know, like you learn as a, as a kid in high school, like don't carry a condom in a wallet because your wallet is warm. It, it can degrade, but Reynolds oven bags are about the same size as a condom wrapper. And they're meant to exist in 400, 500 degree ovens, which you're not getting in your back pocket. You're definitely not getting in your backpack. So I tell people that's a great emergency container and it doesn't require force to, to fill that Reynolds oven bag. It's already open when you put a chicken inside of it, you know? So, uh, so that's my preferred container, like for an ultralight option are just Reynolds oven bags and you can go and take a Reynolds oven bag and say it's like a, a large size for a Turkey and you can get a, a Nalgene bottle, pour one quart of water in there and then measure on the bag with a black magic marker, you know, how much of the bag it has to fill up to fill a, a quart. So you can kind of pre-mark them to the amount of water that's going to be in them with the amount of appropriate aqua tabs that you throw in there. And, and that has been a great solution over the years. Like you can even take that bag, put it in the ground and then keep it open and then put hot rocks in there, holding it with a set of, of, you know, twig tongs and you can boil water inside of a Reynolds oven bag and it's safe to drink. Like they're so versatile. Um, but you're, you're spot on. You say like, there's always a trade-off now. Yeah. Reynolds oven bags, they work but they lack durability in terms of, you know, you can't boil with them over the fire, right? That's a trade-off. They're, they're kind of like a one or a two use item. I mean, you can use them over and over if you're careful, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be as durable as say like a, uh, like a, like a hydro pack or, or one of these bags that's meant to be like dragged over rocks and whatnot. Um, I like a filter, but filters, there's a trade-off, right? Like even the grail, which is like the, the cat's ass, that thing is meant to survive maybe two freezing which a lot of people will take their, their, their water filter, take it into the woods, they'll get a freeze. And now that filter cracks and it allows bad water to get into the filter element into what you're drinking. And now you end up with shits. So I tell people like have a backup to a backup to a backup. And again, check the atmospherics. You know, there's always 
three people in a fight, you, your opponent, and the weather. And if we want to apply that kind of mindset to hunting, there's you, there's your game, and then there's the weather that you got to deal with, right? Your game understands the weather better than you do, right? It's better equipped to deal with the weather. You're going in there kind of naive if you think that the weather's not going to affect you. So I like the idea of carrying Aquatabs. That's my my backup and my possibles pack. I've gone away from the MP1 tablets because they take like three to four hours to fully fully utilize or fully treat, but the aqua tabs are great. Um, and I like boiling, you know, so I don't mind carrying a little extra fuel to know that I can treat water in a short amount of time. And it's, it's very, very safe. And especially if you boil with a lid, it really boils faster and it, it prevents your water from, from evaporating and, and boiling off. So, you know, those are, those are my go-tos. I, I, you know, personally, I don't use stereo pens. Um, you know, that's just my, one of my things. I don't like them, but you know, I'm not saying that they don't work. You know, I've had plenty of friends that use them, but they're just not for me. Just another, another item that I have to carry with batteries and between carrying CR 2032 batteries for my, my weapon lights, or I'm sorry, my red dots and CR 123 batteries for weapon lights and double A batteries for this and triple A battery. Like, I don't want to carry another freaking battery on me. Yeah, no. And I mean, that's something, and we'll go over, I got to hop off here in a few couple minutes, but this is something we'll go over obviously in the course because batteries, trying to keep batteries the same when you can, which is not possible all the time. One of the reasons I leave the SteriPen at home a lot is what you just talked about and kind of converted over to the grail. And then other things too, like you're talking about the, the oven bags, like I carry a, a, a Ziploc, a gallon Ziploc in my chest harness, my vinyl harness at all times. And people are like, you know, like they just don't think outside of the box. And I'm like, look, when I go on a stock and it's a mile away, I don't want to carry a ton of shit with me. And I generally have my pack with an orange panel over it. We'll go over all this in the course. But if I get pinned down or let's say I blow the stock, I just stop, fill that up, drop an MSR Aqua tab in there, lay there for 20, 30 minutes. And I can, or if, if, if it's, if it's an actually clean water, meaning it's coming out of the ground and there's a low probability of me getting sick, I've got a container on me all the time to drink water, just little like hacks or whatever. These things are important, but, um, man, I gotta be honest that went by fast. I need to be on a zoom call in one minute and I can be a little bit late. Um, but dude, I, I hope everybody from this podcast has kind of a taste of what we will be teaching, uh, during this. Cause it's, it's going to be really good info. We're going to be bouncing back and forth, different ideas, just like we're doing right now, different mindsets and thought processes. So you walk away from it, a better outdoorsman and woodsman and, and hopefully more successful, you know, hunting wise. So. Hell yeah. And the course is live right now. So they better go sign up fast. <laughs> yeah. There are not many slots. So, um, you can check it out. I just posted a link on my story. Uh, it's, you, we posted it up or Kevin did on uh, Fieldcraft survival. So where can they find your work, things like that and sign up for the course, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to direct everyone first to fieldcraftsurvival.com. Check us out on Instagram uh, at fieldcraftsurvival. Check me out on Instagram at Estella Wild Ed. That's short for Estella Wilderness Education. You guys can hit me up anytime you want. Uh, Estella at fieldcraftsurvival.com. And, uh, you know, I'll be around. Cool. Well, man, I appreciate you hopping on here. I'll give you a call a little bit later on today. There's a couple of things I wanted to go over 
over with on the course with you. Um, but other than that, everybody check out Kevin Estella, Fieldcraft Survival, and uh, yeah, sign up for the course. We're looking forward to it. Hell yeah, brother. Talk to you soon. All right, later. Later.